Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm your host, Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question for you. I love questions. How do you think people discovered that we can eat lobster? Like, did they start at spiders and work their way up? I have never thought of this question. I guess the same could be true of clams and mussels. (laughs) Do we have like a line of people who died in the service to discovering that we could eat lobsters? Did they just keep trying eating poisonous things until they found the one thing that looks like that that's not going to kill you? I think you might be onto something here. Lobsters are horrifying. Crustacean experts, please tweet at us. (laughs) My first lobster experience was at the Red Lobster, so slightly less traumatic, (laughs) except that you pass the tank of lobsters, and then you get a lobster, and you make the connection, and you're like seven years old (laughs) and you're like wait they're alive connect the dots (laughs) (laughs) yeah growing up on a farm I never really had that problem when I was much younger uh, I lived on the back of a very big farm and uh, you'd hear the cows start to be like and I was like what is that I asked my neighbor and he was like oh they're slaughtering the cows and I was like what and I found out years later they were mating, not being slaughtered. But he thought slaughtering was an easier thing for me to understand at, like, age five. <laughs> That's so American. We're so much more okay with kids being exposed mm-hmm. to violence than sex. It is a problem, and we need to confront it. Thank goodness for Cardi B. Um, okay. <laughs> Cardi B. Anthony. Um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't either. It just that was something. That was something. <laughs> Coming up today on Hysteria, Alyssa and I are joined by Crooked Media's political director, Shaniqua McClendon, and we're going to tackle the following questions. Is the virtual Democratic convention actually kind of fun? What women need our help to vote, and how can we help them? And will Donald Trump pardoning Susan B. Anthony do anything to convince women he gives a shit about us? All this and more right now. 
Alyssa. Hey, Aaron. You ready to talk about the convention? I was born ready to talk about the convention. So the Democratic convention is happening this week, and it's happening virtually, which means that people like you and I have been robbed of the traditional convention experience. Like, one of my tradi- my favorite traditional convention experiences is having a stomach ache for four days because the only food <laughs> that you can get in the the only food you can get in the venue is like stadium food. Or you can walk to the CNN Grill, which is usually kind of far. Um, so that's a fun, authentic convention experience. And we have long talked about your concerns around stadium food. <laughs> oh, it's just, it needs to be addressed. <laughs> um, do you have any authentic convention experiences you're not going to have this year because we've gone virtual? Aaron, I like nerdily go back in time and watch old convention speeches. And I always like the cutaway shot, like where someone is controversial on stage and like the CNN camera knows who's going to be either offended or pleased by what they're saying. So they do like the quick cutaway shot. It's like soap opera within the convention, which I always appreciate. But, you know, none of that this time. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's sort of like, it's like professional wrestling, but without an audience, I think. Yes, it's true. Another authentic convention experience I've had is um, when you go to a convention, there are the, the sanctioned events inside the stadium, and then there are the sidewalk weirdos outside selling like unlicensed shirts with caricatures (laughs) of the other candidates on them or like bizarre protesters who are like holding up big signs about how everybody there is going to hell. And then uh, this year, I think that really we dodged a bullet because there would have been some Q protesters there and it would have been, it would have been a real nightmare for everybody there. They're usually really annoying. They're usually like making loud noises and you don't know what they're arguing for and they don't really care that they're annoying. So that's another authentic convention experience I'm being robbed of this year. Also, uh, yeah, bad food, uh, big crowds. It's usually too hot. When I was in Philadelphia in 2016, part of my shoe melted when I was crossing a parking lot. Oh my God, really? Yeah, they were like cheapy shoes that I bought because I was like, I'm going to beat the hell out of these shoes because I'm going to be at a convention. So like, I'm not going to wear nice shoes. And they were not quite nice enough to survive the convention. So that's, I have to say, I don't have many convention stories because I've only been to one. Oh, lucky, lucky you. Mm-hmm. I've gone to, I went to the 2012 RNC in Tampa, Florida. And if you've ever wondered what it would be like if hell was inside a sandy butthole, that's Tampa. That's the RNC. For so many years and so many campaigns, I was the person who was in charge of credentials for the campaign. Oh my God. Always. So I always felt one, how could I go and like take care of myself and not take care of other people? altruism. Two, I never wanted people to be able to find me. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hunker down here in the HQ. I think that's wise. I think that's probably the right thing to do. That's the right look. What do we think of the Democratic Convention so far? And before we go into it, I would just want to say, you know, we record this on Wednesdays. Mm. So we can't talk about what happened on Wednesday night, which is Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris. Yeah, there's a big night. So we are news witches, but we're not such news witches that we can predict what's going to happen. We can't transport. We can't transport, unfortunately, because we would transport to November, I don't know, 20th, when we know who the next president is. Pretty much. uh, Come back and tell you guys it's all going to be fine. So that being said, what to you so far have been some key moments in the convention and what are some things that you think are lacking? So first, let me say I'm very into it. I am pleasantly surprised by all of it. I had very low expectations and internal snark when I was thinking about what this was possibly going to be like. 
And let me just say, it is wholesome family fun. I hope everybody's watching it. The thing I think I like the most is, hands down, the engagement of real people across the country. And like, when you say real people, it's like, are they fake people? No, but like people who aren't politicians, Mm -hmm. right? I like hearing their stories. I think that it is compelling television. I think that so much of what the DNCC and the Biden campaign has done with some of the introductory speeches, like the Amtrak video, Erin, can we discuss the Amtrak video? Oh my God, I loved it. I loved it. What better use of my time than to watch Joe Biden's relationship with Amtrak, which is something I genuinely care about, um, and his workers. And they all like, it was just, I thought that the really, the the very personal elements of it have been really good. Mm -hmm. Like this convention has done a really good job reminding us about how, reminding us of how likable the Bidens are, yeah. how normal the Bidens are. Like when I was watching the Amtrak video and when I watched uh, an elevator <gasps> operator Jacqueline. nominate, yes, nominate Joe Biden, officially nominate him for president. You know, I was thinking about my dad and I thought about my future father-in-law, both who share some personality traits where it's like, no matter where we go, they will make a friend. And I feel like Joe Biden is that kind of a guy. Like he he's not making small talk to impress anybody. He's not the type of person who seems like he scans the room to see who's the most important. Right. He's like my dad. He's like, you know, my future father-in-law. They're guys who just are there and they're friendly, nice people who don't really put up any pretense. And, and it just, it was like, oh yeah. Like I really, I really like Joe Biden personally, you know, his policies a little bit to the center of me, but I like him. And that, I think that's a really important thing because the current president is a deeply unlikable person. He's a bad person. He's a deeply, he's a bad, strange, and deeply unlikable person. And so I think the convention so far has done a good job reminding us like, oh, you know what? There's another, there's another type of human who isn't weird and bad. Right. So that's been good. Who are some of your favorite speakers besides the normal Americans who've been highlighted? Oh, the normal Americans. Well, first, I loved... I loved Bernie. I thought that Bernie really fucking did yeoman's work by communicating to the people who really wanted to see either him or uh, Elizabeth Warren, much more progressive people at the top of the ticket. And I thought he made a really good case. Also, if anyone has missed the outtakes of Bernie getting ready for that moment, they're extraordinary. (laughs) They are extraordinary. He was not pleased with Jane's... (laughs) direction on his posture. I dug it. I was super into it. I found that so relatable. When I'm nervous and somebody is like, do this, I'm like, stop it. Stop. Just stop talking. He like gave her the hand. I was like, did Larry David just transport here? Um, So I thought Bernie did a really extraordinary job and put his party ahead of himself or this moment ahead of himself. Michelle Obama. I mean, what else is there to say? about how she looked in the camera and was like, he's in over his head, and she knew he was watching. It was like right up his ass. It was great. (laughs) Yeah, I I was like just completely befuddled watching her speak. How did two of the best speakers of my lifetime, how did they end up marrying each other? It's true. Like Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Like I bet... Malia and Sasha, if they ever had a speaking unit in school, were like, oh, fucking great. Exactly. (laughs) Expectations. Unfair. Michelle Obama spoke 
so plainly, honestly, but also forcefully. I don't know how to even describe what she did. I listened to the speech again the next day. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I listened to it as I was working out, which was weirdly <laughs> inspirational. Mm. Um, I was like inspired, but also like, I better keep working out in case he wins again. Cause I gotta be, you know, Linda Hamilton Terminator two <laughs> in order to face our <laughs> dystopian future. Um, what did you make of America's introduction to Jill Biden? Aaron, recall how many years I worked with these people. This is what I, I think is so great. I worked with them for so many years. I didn't know half the shit that was in that video last night. I thought it was so compelling. I think she's so... She, well, she kind of reminded me of you and she just like kept running. I was like, what is this? Why is she still running? Oh, she's like, Aaron, she likes to run. But I just, I thought the stories that they shared were personal. They were relatable. I love that everybody knows that she worked. I mean, we knew that she worked when she was in the White House, but that she didn't stop teaching. Teaching is not, what did she say? It's not what she does, it's who she is. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that she was also not to be in politic, a Stone Cold Fox. Holy now crap. Now and then. Now and then. Like, Unbelievable. Like, was she the fifth Charlie's Angel? I don't know she could have been. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, and I like the part where her granddaughters were like, I don't know, she keeps making us go to Soul Cycle. It was 5.30. Like, <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, she, she seemed great. And, you know, I was thinking, watching her speak yesterday and watching a lot of these people speak, watching a lot of regular Americans speak, watching non-politicians Talking to a camera is one of the least natural ways for a human being to communicate. And yeah, I've done cable news a lot. And sometimes you get put in what's called a flash studio where you just have to sit there and look at a camera and there's usually a bright light above you. And that's what you're supposed to be making eye contact with. It is so weird and so hard. And the fact that so many people are like rising to the moment and nailing that in order to communicate nailing the urgency it. of the message is like... God, I'm just so impressed with everybody who's like not a professional going out there and like delivering. It's really, really cool. Um, I want to, you know, just because tonight is the night that uh, Wednesday night is the night that I'm most excited for and people will be listening to this after Wednesday night. Do you want to make some Newswitch predictions for what's going to happen on Wednesday? Like what do you so we have Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris. What is your big prediction? My big Newswitch prediction is that Elizabeth Warren reveals some plans, some plans for Donald Trump and 2021. <laughs> That's my news witch prediction, and I know I'll be right. Another thing this uh, virtual convention is kind of robbing from us is the fact that every time Elizabeth Warren would have said, I have a plan for that, people would have lost their shit. Lost their shit. I still want shirts. Like, I think the Biden campaign should have Elizabeth has a plan for that shirts because I will get mm -hmm. one and I will wear it because she has all the plans. <laughs> She does. She's got she's got a lot of plans. I'm sure she'll have a plan for that. Um, I am predicting that, you know, Barack Obama, of course, is going to deliver a riveting speech. There's no way that he's not going to. Um, but I also want to predict that Kamala Harris, the speech that she gave when she made her first appearance mm -hmm. with Joe Biden was really great. And I think that she seems like she's somebody who rises to the occasion when it's time for shit to get real, Kamala Harris is ready to get real. And I'm really excited to see everybody kind of be happy about Kamala in a way that feels sustaining and pushes us forward and, and like keeps the enthusiasm going. 
um, as we go into the last night of the convention. I think Kamala is going to, I think she's going to kill it. Well, one last week, the thing I think that was so extraordinary about her when she did her speech with Biden, when he picked her, is that she really excelled at speaking without an audience, right? Like Mm -hmm. when you watched her speech, if you did not see that there was no crowd, you would have thought she was getting feedback from an audience because she was so emotive and just like expressive. I think that she will do great. But in the news, which world do you think that Barack Obama will outshine Michelle Obama tonight? Nope. I don't think it's possible. I know. I really think it's hard. I don't think it's possible. And I thought it was a real, uh, I thought it was a real power move or a real flex for Michelle to be like, I don't like politics, guys. <laughs> um, I, I was some shade at the establishment that I think that the right people probably picked up on. Um, I don't think Barack Obama is capable of outshining Michelle, but I also think that he's totally fine with that. Yeah. He's like, I did this for a very long time. Good luck. Godspeed. I appreciate you and love you. <laughs> Um, what do we think about, you know, last night or on Tuesday night, Bill Clinton spoke and I've made my views on that pretty clear that he's sort of, um, he's sort of like a a greatest hits album, but we own like, he's like the shittiest greatest hit that it's just like, we don't need to listen to that one again, but Hillary Clinton is speaking tonight. Do you have any predictions for, um, Hillary Clinton's Wednesday night speech? This could be like a Saw movie. This is her ultimate like she knows Donald Trump is watching. The party needs her to like move it forward kind of, mm-hmm. right? Because the last time she gave a speech at a convention, things didn't end well. And people have been feeling that and litigating that for the past three and a half years. So I think that, well, one, she is also someone who when the gauntlet is thrown, she rises to the occasion. So I think that she will be great. I think she might be funny tonight. I want to predict some funniness from... Mm-hmm. Secretary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a good predictor. You know, I was thinking about Hillary Clinton in 2016, and I was at the convention, and I watched that speech, and I teared up just because I was thinking about my mom and my grandma and, you know, all the women who came before me and how important it was to them to see a woman kind of rise. Um, so, there, you know, even though my feelings on Hillary Clinton were never, like, you know, fangirly, I was really excited because of that milestone. And I was just thinking, you know, her speech was great in 2016 and she seemed so strong and confident because she was. I almost think that like in 2020, it's really important for Democrats and Hillary Clinton and and everybody else to remember that like it's important to be confident, but not to project so much confidence that people are like, oh yeah, we got this. We're good. We, (laughs) We have to be a little bit scared. Like... Otherwise, people won't show up. That's, I mean, maybe that's just me being like, you know. No, I totally agree with you. And I was saying to the cats last night who watched the convention with me that the whole convention feels very sleeves rolled up. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like not anointed, not canonizing people. Like we fucking have shit to do. That's kind of what I really liked about Bernie's speech is that he was like, there is so much to do. Mm -hmm. And because there is so much to do, we can't be prissy. Like Mm -hmm. we can't be like, this isn't what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like tonight especially has to be sleeves rolled up. Yeah. Stacey Abrams said something similar Mm -hmm. to that, where she said, we don't elect saviors, which I think is a really important thing for, you know, what we would like is for somebody to swoop in 
and have the answers and fix everything. I don't think anybody's going into this election with any illusions about Joe Biden. Everybody's like, let's just get across the finish line so we can all fight with a person who actually cares instead of fighting with a person who doesn't care. Like that seems like the the general feeling. Like Bernie's like, let's just get him in there so we can fight then. Um, get some shit. Y- yeah, it, exactly. I have two issues with last night. One, I thought putting Stacey Abrams in the keynote with rising stars was a miss because she's risen. She is a star. (laughs) She's a leader of the party. So um, I thought that was a little weird. And then this was not the fault of the convention, but very bad reporting after the convention where people like actual real news networks were saying that AOC like did a coup d'etat on her little on her speech and that she somehow used the opportunity to praise Bernie and not talk about Biden when it was like literally the nomination speech. Part of the roll call. It's part of the roll call. So that I thought that was really shameful reporting and made me mad. Yeah, but that's the sort of thing that gets people riled up, I think. I thought that it was great that AOC was included. Seeing her speaking at the DNC, like specifically asserting herself as like an outlier, like, Mm -hmm. but having that be something that was okay. Like, yep, you're still part of the party. You're an outlier and you want this, you know, you wanted Bernie to be the nominee, but here you are supporting the party anyway. Like that's, it it just seems like a much more constructive approach to politics than just, you know, trying to light the whole thing on fire because you didn't get what you wanted. I felt, I felt like, I, and I agree with you that that the reporting on that is just ugh. garbage. Well, garbage. You know, gar- garb. I mean, whatever. I, it, it's pundits and political reporters get bored pretty easily, and so whenever like a shiny object comes, they're like, "Oh, a new thing to think about," and that was a shiny well, object because they got destroyed on Tuesday night when they all took to Twitter and were like, "This is terrible," and then all the normal people in the world were like, "This is so fucking heartwarming. I can't handle myself," and so they kind of had to get with God, and I guess that meant uh, just writing bad stories on AOC. But I thought it was pretty, they all backtracked real fast. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole like secret world out there of like angry horny people who rage click on everything written about AOC. I don't think I want to know more about their psychology, but I I feel like I kind of do want to know more about their psychology because it's like, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? Well, because they're probably the same people whose psychology had them vote for Donald Trump. So it's a real deep dive into anger. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Okay, so let's talk about conventions in general. Let's wrap up this conversation. Do you think that the Democratic convention is something that is helpful? What purpose do you think it serves in a time when people can get information and exposure to political figures pretty much every day and constantly? I think that, I guess it it kind of, again, comes back to like Bernie's speech for me, is that we know what people say on Twitter. I think it's important to see that people are not represented by the worst of their followers on Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that giving all of the politicians and party leaders and stuff a chance to actually make the case for why they are better than the Republicans and Trump, I think it's been effective. I think it's been more effective these past two days than in the conventions that took place in real life. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched the whole night start to finish. And I did it both nights. Yeah, me too. But I mean, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to yeah. do? <laughs> Shit, that's so true. <laughs> like oh. There's nothing else. <laughs> this is it. Um, I mean, I, I do think that 
even if it's not changing any minds, because I think people are pretty entrenched in whatever tribe they're in. Um, and the people, the, the very few number of people that are like amenable to changing their votes aren't necessarily going to go from Biden to Trump. We're just trying to get people to come from Trump to Biden, you know? So, but I, but I do think that there's a important purpose served by like firing people up, making people excited to make the final push to the election because it's been a long campaign. And now I feel like right now is, so when I, um, Along the Chicago Marathon route, there used to be this woman who around mile 22 would show up with trays and trays and trays of jello shots, like jello with like vodka. Ooh. Yeah. And you'd think that sounds awful, but when you're running a marathon, right, that's about the time that your body is like, fuck this and fuck you. Right. What are you doing to me? Your bones hurt. Everything hurts. At mile 22, what you want is something to like take the edge off a little bit and give you a rush of sugar. And a jello shot is the perfect, it's just like a little, little something extra. So I feel like the Democratic convention or any political convention is like the jello shot at mile 22 of a campaign that you're like, just get this fucking over with. I just need a little shot of sugar, a little shot of energy and something to kind of numb me so that I could get to November. I want a jello shot so bad right now. You can make them yourself, Alyssa. You make jam. It's pretty easy to make jello shots. Believe me, Aaron, you know if I start with jello shots, they're going to become artisanal. They're going to have packaging. <laughs> it's going to be a thing. I can't do anything halfway. I don't see why this is an objection. Well, I'm going to have to start getting my liquor license then. Alyssa's jam and jello shots. <laughs> <laughs> the classiest lady in upstate New York. Jam for the good times, jello shots for the hard times. For the conventions. <laughs> Okay, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going to be talking about the 19th Amendment. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we're going to take a deeper dive into a topic that we're all interested in. It's personal political. Alyssa's still with me, but I want to introduce the woman joining us today. <laughs> it is Crooked Media's political director, the delightful and brilliant Shaniqua McClendon. Hello, Shaniqua. Hi, how are y'all doing? Good. Uh, so good to have you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to get to our topic today. But first, I want to say, um, Shaniqua, you've adopted North Carolina in the adoptive state. I have. How are things going in North Carolina? Things are going so well. I have to say, um, I know we're here to talk about all things women-related um, to uh, the 19th Amendment, but Dan Pfeiffer has been doing an amazing job as <laughs> um, a representative of Team North Carolina, but I think a lot of that has to do with Hallie. She's been like pushing him to do a ton more than he probably would have otherwise, but um, we've been doing great. We have four things we're focused on there, so the presidency, the Senate, governorship and the state legislature. So a lot of opportunities there. And I don't know, mm -hmm. I think we're doing really good. I saw some polling recently uh, about the Senate that I was like, Shanique was going to love this. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I mean, it could be like a 0.5 lead for Cal Cunningham. And I would think that is all I need to know that Tom Tillis is like going <laughs> to be gone. But um, Cal is doing really well. And I'm going to put Tom Tillis aside and say like Cal Cunningham is great. He's a great candidate. He has a ton of energy. The um, episode of Pod Save America that we did with him was great. But Tom Tillis is just the worst senator in the world. He... Um, <laughs> It's like personal and, you know, he's bad for North Carolina. He's bad for the country, but he also beat my boss, Senator Kay Hagan. They, you know, he beat us by 50,000 points. It was a tough night. And, you know, this is a man who helped sneak abortion language into a motorcycle safety bill. So it's it's time for him to go. We should have never, never let him leave North Carolina. Mm, yeah, well, let's get him out of there. And congratulations <laughs> on Team North Carolina doing great work. Um so let's get into talking about the 19th Amendment. So mm-hmm. um, first, on Tuesday, President Trump commemorated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment by pardoning Susan B. Anthony, who in 1872 was arrested and fined $100 for voting illegally. So guys, before this, I was pretty sure I was in the tank for Joe Biden. But now that Trump is <laughs> a feminist, he's pardoned a, a, a human woman. I think he might be a feminist. Am I a Trump supporter? Maybe. Um <laughs> Shaniqua, uh, the New York Times pointed out that this was trying to pander to women. How effective do you think this would be? And what do you think pardoning Susan B. Anthony signals for President Trump? Yeah, I think it signals that he knows nothing about the suffrage movement. Um, the whole point of protest and, and bringing attention um, to your cause uh, is to get people to pay attention. And that was part of the reason that the suffragists were okay with being arrested. That brought more attention to what they were doing. And it was kind of a form of pride to to be arrested, like any other civil rights movement that we've seen. It's not something that people kind of run away from. Um, I also just think it's crazy because he's often talking about voter fraud, and I'm sure anyone he could convict of voter fraud, he would throw in jail. So to think that he would pardon her as he's trying to make it very difficult for everyone else just shows he's doing what he normally does. Nonsense to get attention. Uh, Alyssa, what did you make of the move? Like the same thing. It's like you read it. I'm like, it's going to be Julian Assange. And then everyone's like, it's not Julian Assange. And I was like, well, who the fuck is it? And of Susan B. Anthony. I whelped. I laughed. I mean, it's just like, first of all, you know someone had to Google that for him and be mm-hmm. like, no, it's not just about pro-life. She's an actual person. And so I just thought it was so fucking fraught and bullshit. And, you know, even did you see the press conference or like this the event he did in the in the East Room when he mentioned it? He had women behind him and they laughed because I think they were like, what? (laughs) And they're like his supporters. They were like, what is what? Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. Um. Another thing that I think the Susan B. Anthony pardon brings up is the fact that a lot of people that are like, let's celebrate the 19th Amendment. Let's Mm -hmm. celebrate it. Don't really have a full historical understanding of what the 19th Amendment actually did and who the people who fought for the the 19th Amendment actually were. So it's like a it's it's a sort of complicated historical event. Mm -hmm. Shaniqua. What do you think the main things are that people get wrong about the 19th Amendment and the suffragists who fought for it? And why do we know some and not others? Yeah, I I think the big thing that people get wrong is that all women got to vote after the 19th Amendment was passed. And Um, And then, you know, the kind of heroes that we have, and I don't want to put quotation marks around it because they actually were fighting for their right to vote. Um, But the heroes we center, I should say, are not um, 
not the only people who were pushing for their rights. You know, there are a lot of women of color who were part of the movement. They helped get this amendment passed. And then when it was time to actually show up and vote, were turned away and not able to vote. And we probably should have all known that because when the 15th Amendment was passed, it's not as if, um, you know, all men were equally able to vote. So um, the writing was kind of on the wall there. But I think a lot of people like to feel good about our history. But if we know anything about American history, there's always a lot of caveats and, and rugs we should look under to make sure we have the entire story. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, how did you learn about the 19th Amendment and suffrage? And what has your like adulthood kind of backfilled in and giving you the whole story on? Well, not only is suffrage like obviously a thing thing in history, but I am from upstate New York. Mm. So the Seneca Falls Convention, it wasn't just something we learned about in high school. It was actually part of our fourth, in fourth grade, you do local history, like the history of New York State. Mm -hmm. And it was part of that. And so we always, and there are like statues everywhere. So I will say that as a white child in upstate New York, I had a very different view of what suffrage was, of the fact that these, I think that, Shaniqua, you put it right, like, these women fought for their right, Mm -hmm. just them, only them, like, literally themselves. Yeah. And that's something that became more apparent in college. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we also had people at the Seneca Falls Convention. Frederick Douglass was there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not that the people fighting to vote were only fighting for themselves. Frederick Douglass was fighting for the rights of all people to vote, and he saw that women were important in that fight. You know, when I was, I think my education on the women's right to vote really airbrushed out the racism that Mm -hmm. was, that a lot of the women had. And I don't want to excuse any of it. They were displaying the racism that was common at the time, but they weren't forward enough looking to fight for people beyond themselves. Right. Um, and, And I think that we have a hard time reckoning with the fact that some of our early feminist heroes they weren't just being benevolent. They were just trying to get theirs in addition yeah. to the to the things that other people were getting. Shaniqua, what is the status right now of like the women's vote, if it exists? Mm-hmm. And um, how, are we making forward progress on that or are we backsliding? I think that a big part of it is the model for power and success. And I don't just mean like monetarily, but like literally being able to live a life that you want. The model has always been white straight cis men. And so I think as these white women were fighting for their right, that's the model they were looking at. And so these white men had, they excluded certain people and that allowed them to hold on to their power in a very specific way. And so when you see that and how successful it is, I think that is what those women were um, were striving for and why a lot of women of color were left out um, of kind of the fruits of the movement. And I think we're still seeing a lot of that now. I think 2018 showed us there's a women's vote. You know, a lot of women are really turned off, even Republican women, by Donald Trump. But I think that is really low-hanging fruit for what brings us all together. I think when you actually dive in a little bit more, it, it starts to fracture a bit because you have very, like, I think about abortion access. And that is something I think that has been very centered in the, um, in the feminist movement um, now in the past. But even now, Democratic women even who are pushing for access to abortion have conceded that you can't use any federal dollars on it. And so when you think about who is using federal dollars for their health care access, that's a lot of poor women and it's a lot of women of color, which means now they can't access abortion. But again, the people who have money and resources can. So 
I, I think we have like a women's vote to the extent that you know, shitty men need to be voted out of office. But I think when we start looking at other things that affect women's everyday lives, so many other things intersect with our gender that um, it's hard to just categorize us all as kind of um, a monolith. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, Alyssa, I was thinking recently about the gender divide between the two parties, because although there is no women's vote and there is no men's vote, there has never been a time in history where there was as big a gender divide between the two parties. Like, and it, and it mm -hmm. seems like it's trending in the direction where women are more likely to be Democrats and men are more likely to be Republicans, especially white men. What do you make of this gender divide? Do you think we're moving toward a future where the Democratic Party is the women's party and we just have to save America over and over again, once every two to six years? No. I mean, that would actually probably be better than the truth. I mean, I think <laughs> the truth is that Donald Trump is so fucking offensive in every way that women are like, okay, I voted for him in 16, but like... He really doesn't think I'm a person. So <laughs> I'm going to vote with the Democrats now. But like if they find a Republican who thinks women are people again, those same women are going to go back. I mean, yep. again, they're voting for themselves. Like yep. this is they're voting specifically for their self-interest, not like what is for the greater good or not. I'm privileged and I have things I need, but these women need my support. The women who we may attract in the fall to vote for Joe Biden I do not think are going to be permanent residents of the Democratic Party. Right. Completely yeah. agree. A lot of Cindy McCain's. But I mean, <laughs> you, you, we'll take you, Cindy. You can we'll take stay you, but let's But let's not act like some fucking ground, sh like seismic shift has happened. It's like, mm -hmm. this is, this is ugh, ugh, so I funny. Mean, <laughs> I feel like if it is Trump's party, though, if it's Trump's party now and for the foreseeable, then I can't see that gender divide changing. Because, you know, if Trump's party is going to be a party of like aggressive dehumanization of people that are not white men, white cis men, mm -hmm. then I think that it's I don't see any path for those people to go back to the party. Maybe I'm just I would prefer that the Republican Party no longer be a party of Trump just because I think a two party system is better for a democracy. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I don't see how they're going to, how the, how the gang's going to get out of this one. See, here's my thing about this though, <laughs> is that I think that the convention that we are witnessing this week is kind of why I hope it's not the case, right? Because I don't really think that the Democratic Party should have to go back in time and somehow like litigate is there room for pro-life people on the platform? Yeah. And so it's like, I think that we have abided the programming this week and it has been, there have been Republicans. Some people have heard of, some people have not heard of. <laughs> and I just think that, you know, I, I certainly would rather see a convention in four years where AOC gets as much time as Republicans who are on the yeah. boards of corporations. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think that Republicans have, I mean, Americans in general, but um, I think Republicans have a pretty short memory. Um, and I think once Donald Trump is gone, the Republican Party will act like he never was ever part of their party. <laughs> and all of those women will just line up and head right back over there. So it you is know. one hundred percent going to be like new number. Who dis? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, George W. Bush is a charming painter, not a war criminal. Wow. Exactly. What, what, charming. what are you talking about? Charming. <laughs> him. Oh, what a lovely little grandpa war yep. criminal. Um, 
Shaniqua, let's talk about voting access for mm-hmm. women because the 19th Amendment in writing was <laughs> technically supposed to give all women the right to vote, but mm-hmm. they didn't all have access to voting. So right. what barriers were put in between some women and voting in the past, and what barriers are being put in between some women and voting now? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest one to look at in the past is any form of a poll tax. Um, It's the same thing that kept, you know, not just women, but just people of color generally from accessing uh, the right to vote. Um, But when I think about now, I think it's a lot harder to kind of identify how women specifically are disenfranchised, because we have a lot of conversations about voter suppression, and it's always just you know, people of color, everyone, you know, black people are being targeted. Um, But when you think about just the responsibilities that women have, so if you don't live near a polling location and you have three kids and, you know, maybe they're in two different schools and you have to pick them up, but your state doesn't have early voting and election day is the one day you can vote, how are you supposed to do that? And you think about uh, women are overrepresented in um in in low-wage jobs, and especially women of color. So again, if you can't take off of work, um, if you can't pay a babysitter to watch your kids and you have to show up on Tuesday and wait in line for hours, you know, who is that having a bigger impact on? Um, So there's a lot of things now um, that are just making it more difficult for women to vote. I frankly think that this is kind of an opportunity for um, for feminists to think more about voting rights being a women's issue. We're not going to see greater access to abortion or, um, you know, paid family leave or any of the things that a lot of the feminist movement is calling for. We're not going to see a lot of those things if people can't go vote. If we keep disenfranchising people of color, um, you know, or people who tend to be vote Democrat, we're not going to see all those things. And so it seems pretty easy and to make sense to say, hey, maybe as women, we should be looking at voting as a women's issue, because if more people can access the ballot to elect the people that will then fight for our causes, we can start actually winning some of those battles. Uh, I think the childcare thing is really interesting. Like if you do live in a state where there's no early voting, or if you live in a place where it's like difficult to get to a polling place, is there anything a person who has no kids or has access to resources can do to help people vote in places like that? Yeah. um, And, you know, first and foremost, we are in a pandemic. So if you can vote by mail, by all means do, but that's not something that is accessible for everyone. And so if you are in a position, and again, we're in a pandemic, so this gets difficult as well. But if you're in a position to watch someone's children, if you've already voted um, and you can care for their kids while they're going to the polls, you know, do that. If there's any way that you can just free up their time, the work piece is hard. You know, even if someone covers your shift, that means you're still not getting the money. So that is, you know, difficult to do. Um, But in any ways that you can provide time for someone to get to the polls or, some organizations will provide food at the polls for people who are waiting in line. And some people do bring their kids to the polls. So if you can send a few pizzas to the poll lines and make sure the folks there eat and the kids aren't getting too restless. Um, there's a, a woman I know in DC, um, I, I don't know if she does this at polling locations, but she has kind of like a mobile babysitting business. So they go to weddings and they'll like watch all the kids and they go to events where you don't want the kids running around. Um, the adults want to have fun. And so they'll watch the kids. And so you know, I think that that model could be something that is at a polling place. You know, is there a school, if it's at a school, you can, you know, set up something for the kids in the gymnasium so that the kids can do that and they're not getting restless while their parents are trying to vote. But 
it's definitely on a person to person level that we can help with those things because the government right now is not doing what we need to make sure people can vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, one other thing people can do, which is tangential, mm-hmm. but important. Sign up to be a poll worker so that yes. everything can go as quickly as possible once yes. people get online and want to go in and vote. I have signed up. I have signed, you signed up. Thank you, Alyssa. Yes. I'm, th- oh, I'm thinking about awesome. it, but I'm a little afraid of the pandemic. But I also like never get sick because I was a very dirty kid. So, oh my God, <laughs> would Jesus Christ. I, you know, Karen. I mean, I think, I think I'll do it provided that my local polling location can provide safety for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the women and men, but mostly women who fought for women's rights mm-hmm. to vote. Um, Alyssa, who is your favorite suffragist? Uh, I have a couple. Okay. But my favorite that I just want to shout out because... This is weirdly important to me. Uh, Lucy Stone made sure that women could keep their maiden names. Hmm. It used to be illegal. What? Oh, wow. And she fought for I did and not she know fought that. for she fought for women to be able to keep their maiden names, which is something that I've had a couple of friends go through this when they did actually get married and take their husband's name when they got divorced. In some states, do you know you have to go and pay to get your maiden name back? Wow. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. So it seems a bit trite, but being able to be Alyssa Mastromonaco is very important to me. And I did not know that Lucy Stone was the pioneer of making that happen. So wow. fucking shouts to Lucy Stone. Voting and making it so we have to fill out less paperwork. It's, ah, I feel yep. like that's a win-win. Shaniqua, do crazy. you have any favorites? Yes, yes. Um, I feel like this is cliche, um, but you know, earlier we were talking about women who didn't get it as much attention um, for their work in the suffrage movement. And so I'm going to say Ida B. Wells. Um, Obviously, she was fighting for women's right to vote, but she was also a journalist who really exposed uh, the lynchings that were going on uh, in the country and brought a lot of attention to it um, and just a civil rights leader in general. So yeah, that's my person. (laughs) I feel like Ida B. Wells is one of those people that if you're having a bad day and you want to get really fired up Mm -hmm. if you just read read about her the more you read about it the more you're gonna be like this woman yes like (laughs) i can can break my desk in half like she was she was so inspiring and so cool and what she was doing in the face of the society around her right was like it was dangerous work she was so brave Mm -hmm. she was incredibly brave also something funny um when the hysteria email address was set up our like display name for gchat is ida b wells (laughs) (laughs) i went to email caroline the other day and i it was something about hysteria so i typed in hysteria and then ida b wells popped up and i was like oh (laughs) i bet ida b wells would be a really great email pen pal she would have a lot of cool stuff to say (laughs) She has a lot of cool stuff to say. Okay, let's wrap this uh, talk of the 19th Amendment up um, by let's let's do some final thoughts. Um, what, what women do we need to help get out to vote and how do we encourage them to do it beyond what we've already talked about? So a few years ago, I wrote a piece in like a journal in grad school about um, incarcerated women and how the pay gap or the wage gap affects them. And that's something I've been thinking about when I think about Florida and um, Amendment 4 and mm-hmm. formerly um, incarcerated people getting the right to vote. But Republicans thinking, oh, let's make this harder and require everyone to pay their fines before they have the opportunity to vote. 
And that's obviously a problem for anyone who's been incarcerated because it's harder to find work after that. It's definitely hard to find like a well-paying job that you can repay all these fines. But particularly women, and then you think about women of color, you have these like varying degrees of wage gaps there, which makes it even harder to pay back these fines. And I just keep thinking about how women just, they get hit by everything. Um, even we don't talk about incarcerated women a lot. You know, when we're talking about the things that we need to fight for, for women, I don't think that they get brought in enough as a group within um, or a demographic of women uh, that actually need a lot more support than those of us who who have never um, been incarcerated. So I've just think, been thinking a lot about um, how we help them. And I mean, there is a way to help them. Um, the Florida Restoration Coalition, hopefully I got that name right, um, they are taking donations to pay the fines of um, people who have been incarcerated so that they can vote um, this November. So that is one way we can help them. Um, and just generally what incarcerated people face are the byproduct of decisions that our politicians make, that our elected officials make. And, you know, for them not to be able to participate in that decision making is very unfair. So I hope that's a group we can get uh, mobilized this November. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, who do you want to get to the polls this November? I think that we have to make sure that we are looking out for all of our trans friends who have a hard time getting IDs because, Mm -hmm. you know, some places you look at Donald Trump every day on television. He's like, you should have to have an ID to be able to vote. And for folks who are transitioning, who are trans, it's a real fucking problem for them. And so I think that we need to remember that they are also um, struggling to sort of, you know, have their right to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking a lot. I just, you know, took a a very long road trip and Mm -hmm. drove through a lot of places that were really remote. And some of those remote places are populated with first peoples and indigenous people. And I think Mm -hmm. that indigenous women a lot of times are cut off from important social services, especially in rural areas, they get really overlooked. So um, giving uh, women who are you know, of the native people's access to voting is is super important. And I think it's something that, that we need to talk about. When we talk about rural voters, a lot of times mm-hmm. we don't include them and they are mm-hmm. definitely people that need to have access to voting and services. So yeah. that is my, uh, that's that's the group that I hope that we can we can bring to the polls in, in greater numbers this time. So, okay, great conversation, guys. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Okay, we're back. Before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. The Democratic National Convention is happening, as we've mentioned, and Crooked has been streaming the whole thing live each night this week on crooked.com slash convention. But tonight, Pod Save America is hosting a live pre-show at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, the hour before the last night of the convention starts. 
Check it out at crooked.com slash convention. Okay, we're back. We are almost at the end of the show, but not before we take really strong stances about things that don't matter. It's I feel petty. Shaniqua, do you want to get started this week? Yes, yes, yes. Maybe this doesn't matter. Maybe it does a little, but I am just sick of self-righteous elite Twitter people. We all had different people we probably supported during the primary. And now Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are um, officially our nominees on the Democratic ticket. And I get it. Some people are not excited about that. Some people are not happy about that. But what does complaining do? And I just wish I could respond to everyone who's like complaining and say, well, what did you do during the primary? Did you like sit it out or did you go knock doors or make calls for the person that you wanted to be on the ticket? I'm sure a lot of people didn't. And I just wish they would stop getting on Twitter to not only complain, but say stuff like, oh, this is your person or, oh, you said they'd do this. And it's like, look, we're all trying to get rid of Donald Trump and we don't need you making us feel like shit about it. Go do something productive. <laughs> if you, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to vote, just do that. But I don't think it makes sense to infect the pool and, and start to bring other people with you just because you are like upset. And I don't want to diminish anyone's feelings, but <laughs> uh, I'm just sick of like Twitter elitists thinking they have like, you know, a monopoly on all of this. You know, Joe Biden got elected. Enough people checked his name on the ballot for him to be our nominee. So, you know, work harder mm -hmm. next time. <laughs> you saying infect the pool made me I just I just pictured like Glenn Greenwald showing up to a pool party and jumping in and being like, I don't like the water slide and peeing in the pool because he doesn't like the water yeah, slide. Yeah, it's like then don't get on the water slide, but you know <laughs> Yeah, it's this pool or that lake of lava. Which one do you want? Sorry you don't like the water slide. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, Glenn Greenwald, you know, not to call him out, but you know, he's always kind of the subtext of complaints like this, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Alyssa, what's your, I feel petty. Well, Schneek was is very high minded compared to mine. Uh, what I was going to say is that if you're a tampon company and the strings <laughs> fall out of your tampons, you shouldn't be a tampon company. That's what I was going to say. That's important. Very personal experience this week. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tweet it at the company, but like, give me a fucking break. You, your, oh your tampons have like two jobs, get in and yeah. get out. And like, <laughs> oh, no, that's important. So there you go. Welcome to Hysteria, Shaniqua. Welcome back. <laughs> oh man, that was quite, that, yeah, I feel like that's a very, oh my gosh. when you get in a car, you expect it to successfully turn on, take you to where you're going, stop when necessary. And the brakes should work. And the brakes should work. Yes. I can't even imagine yanking and then just a string coming out. It's exactly what happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yep. It's like the scene, it's like the scene in, um, or like, uh, you know, in uh, Stranger Things, when they go into the other dimension with like a, a, a lion tied on them and then like the monster eats them and they pull it back and they're like, no. So, so I don't know that, but I know this never happened on 90210, which is my point, my point of reference for everything. So uh, I was lost. I was lost. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure there's interesting tips about what to do about that on, on reputable medical websites that can help you. <laughs> And also some very non-helpful tips because the internet is full of just non-information. Okay. I think that's a fair I feel petty. So mine this week might be a little controversial. I cook. And when I cook, I 
do season my food a lot, but I think that recipes treating pepper like a mm -hmm. neutral spice are completely doing a disservice to black pepper. Black pepper has its own flavor, just like chili flakes, just like parsley or oregano. Black pepper is its, or just like a Chinese five spice blend. It's a flavor. And you can't just put black pepper on everything because everything is going to taste like black pepper. Stop saying season generously with salt and pepper when really what you mean is season generously with salt right. and maybe a different spice besides black pepper. It would be better <laughs> at bringing out the flavor of something. I don't want to put pepper on fucking everything. I don't want everything to taste like black pepper. It is not a neutral spice. And that's my that's what I feel petty about this week. As a matter of fact, I think Bobby Flay agrees with you. <laughs> well, good. I heard I heard something about this on the Food Channel not that long ago that you shouldn't actually spice food that you're putting in a frying pan uh, with pepper because the pepper oh. will burn and change the flavor oh. of the food. So, Aaron, seems like you're onto something. That makes sense. I mean, yes, of course, it, it's going to burn if you put it on something hot. And also, like cachoe pepe is a delicious meal. Like really well deployed black pepper can be great in a dish. <laughs> I just don't want it on fucking everything. And right. I don't want it burned. Yeah. I think that that's, that's. Yeah. Aaron, this anyway. was, this was not petty. This was instructive. You probably just, taught some people something. I mean, I, people who are going to cook me food that I will eat and enjoy are probably <laughs> learning something. I just like, the worst thing is like when I go somewhere and the shit has just been peppered out or something. Why do we, I want pepper on my salad. Yeah. Fresh black pepper. On leaves? Why is that a thing? That's a good point. No, only on a Caesar salad. I like it on a Caesar salad. On a Caesar salad, That's it, yes. Though. But like, don't come up to me with a pepper grinder wielding it yeah. like some kind of like magic wand. <laughs> what? I don't want this. Get the pepper away from I don't even want to smell it. <sighs> okay. That's the Fuck. end of my that's the end Please of my rant. I was, exercise the pepper demons. <laughs> exercise the pepper demons, but not the tampons, unfortunately. Um Okay, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you, Shaniqua McClendon, yeah. for showing up. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we were, it was so good to have you talk about this topic. Please come back in the future. Yes. We, we love having you. And thanks, Alyssa, for hanging out with me as you do every single week. Thank you for putting up with me as you do every <laughs> single week. And thank you, everybody listening, for hanging out with us. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet, this nation, Janet. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rastin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.